So again, for folks who are joining, we are, uh, there's Roberto. Okay, so we're going to get started here uh, as soon as we can uh, make sure that uh, we can get him set up with a microphone and I will get right into it. Um, so uh, thanks everybody for joining us today. This is a different time, uh, but the same great Casa Twitter space you've come to know and love. Today, we are joined by Roberto Sussman. He's the senior researcher and lecturer at the National University of Mexico, also the founder of ProVapo, uh, which is a pro-tobacco harm reduction advocacy group in Mexico. And I went to all the trouble of opening up a brief description of ProVapo on the INCO website. And of course, I moved that window around. Um, ProVapo ProVapo Mexico is the first nonprofit of all consumers NGO in Mexico that stands for the rights of Mexican consumers on non-combustible nicotine products. And when we can get Roberto set up here with a microphone, all you have to do, Roberto, if you're if you're able to hear me, um, uh, you should have an invitation to become a speaker from Danielle or from the Casa main account, and uh, that'll allow you just say yes. And I think we were working out some settings issues coming into this. Um, as long as uh, everything has access to all the stuff it needs, you should become a speaker pretty quickly. Um, but while we're waiting for uh, some technical stuff to get worked out, how you doing, Matt? <laughs> Sorry, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I I, I was posting on Facebook about our space, so I'm sorry, my, my brain's a little distracted. No worries. I just sort of threw you a curveball there. How, how's things on the East Coast, my friend? <laughs> it's good. It feels like uh, summertime, finally. It's humid and warm. The grass is growing. All the wonderful things. Yeah, we've had a really cold spring so far. Yeah, it, the spring shows up here late, but when it gets here, it's uh, it's glorious. We spend about six months of the year in winter. So, <laughs> can can you hear me? Yeah, same here. Can you? All right. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Ah, okay. So the all these technical problems were already were are are solved. Oh, thanks God. <laughs> Fantastic. I think this might be record time. We've we've got all this sorted out in the first five minutes. So, excellent work. Um. So I'll get right to it. Um, Roberto Sussman, welcome to our Twitter space. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, and of course, uh, we'll, we'll get into the nitty gritty of what's happening in Mexico. Uh, but before we get started, it's, it's always a good idea to kind of introduce our guests to, to folks who are listening. So uh, if you don't mind giving us a little bit of background, how do you got involved in tobacco harm reduction and of course, founding uh, ProVapo Mexico? Uh, okay, thank you. Well, thank you very much for inviting me uh, to uh, inform the uh, North American public of what is happening south of the border, right? Um, the the way I, I got involved into tobacco harm reduction is because I I comply with uh, with two characteristics. First, I'm a user. I mean, I. I I have been, uh, a, I was a smoker for about 40 years. And uh, occasionally I continue smoking like uh, one cigar or one pipe every week or every two weeks. 
by, by six years ago, I switched to vaping. Uh, and and the, another characteristic is that I am a scientist, right? So it's this intersection between being a scientist, and uh, I have a PhD in physics, and I have very good knowledge of uh, aerosol physics, right? So this intersection is, is how I got here, because I noticed that a lot of the uh, tobacco signs and and uh, in e-cigarette science, it's really a very low quality. And I was incensed because I'm a scientist. I don't like people to mop the floor with science, right? And I've had lots of debates with people like creationists and so on. So I say, I, I told myself, this, this is pseudoscience. And, uh, and that uh, generates a very powerful emotional drive. And, and then as a user, uh, I'm also incensed because uh, at least in the U.S., vaping is legal. Maybe it has not been regulated by the FDA, but at least you can, uh, the, the, you can go into a vape shop and you can get a receipt. And the police are not raiding vape shops. But here in Mexico, we live with fear. Uh, you vape and it's illegal. And then the authorities are very intransigent. And uh, this has been the situation all the time. So these two characteristics it put me in the orbit of tobacco harm reduction. And then I met other similar people, not with a scientific background, but uh, users with the legal, with the, their lawyers and uh, economists, different, different professions. And this is how we founded ProAPEO. Yeah, it's Prova Peo, Mexico, right? So, and I'm very happy to be able to address to address CASA. It's a, it's an organization that we admire very much, and we mirror ourselves as a sort of Mexican version of CASA, a small version, though. Thanks. Yeah. Excellent. I will happy to happy to, to be a part of the gang here and, and, and hopefully hopefully we are leading somewhat of a decent example for, for everybody around the world. Um, certainly our, uh, if success is a measure of effectiveness, then uh, I think we're all a bit behind the eight ball. But um, so, I, you know, you've gotten into the sort of legal status of vaping in Mexico and just for, I guess, a little bit of background. Um, has it always been uh, sort of hunted down by the authorities or was there ever a time when it was uh, you know, not not really that big of a deal. Did you guys get to fly under the radar like we did here in the United States for a while, or has the government always kind of been out to get you? No, no. Um, well, uh, vaping has always been illegal in Mexico, but not usage. I mean, you you even now, even now, technically, it's not illegal to to use it to use the devices, right? To vape, but it has uh, the prohibition. Uh, uh, the basic prohibition was to commercialize it, right? Now, uh, the legal basis of this prohibition that was, I think, it was implemented in 2011. Uh, Vaping started arriving in Mexico very early, like 2007, 2008, but it was marginal. Uh, 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 E-cigarettes started to be more visible around 2010, 2011. And then, you know, our health authorities 
follow the WHO like a priest in a rural town would follow the Pope. It's the Vatican for them. So uh, without much thinking and using absolute crude junk science, uh, they decided to, to ban commercialization. And the legal basis is extremely weak. In our tobacco law that was drafted in 2008, 2009, I think it was drafted. No, 2008. Uh, it was drafted and there was no mention of electronic delivery systems because they were unaware of it. And so they took a article of that law that refers to objects that are not tobacco products, but look like tobacco products. And what they had in mind were chocolate cigarettes. Uh, chocolate cigarettes were very popular. They were like, imagine a cigarette box, but instead of cigarettes, you had uh, chocolate cylinders. And in order, they wanted to ban that. And that was an article, the article number 16, I think, of the tobacco law that banned this tobacco, this chocolate cigarettes. And they use that law to, for vaping because they say, well, vaping is not a tobacco product, but looks like one. And that's a very weak legal basis. And then, uh, but I have also to say that uh, the authorities in Mexico, and I'm talking about the equivalent of the FBI, but in a, in a much, much smaller scale than the FDA, uh, does not have the, the personnel, does not have the resources to go after vape shops. So it's, uh, they, in fact, uh, vape shop, vaping was booming and, and, and e-cigarettes were being sold. And occasionally they, they did some uh, interventions and seizures of material and so on. So vendors started to use what is called the habeas corpus law. We have a habeas corpus law, it's la ley de amparo, to get habeas corpus to prevent authorities from, from, from merchandise seizures, right? And uh, one of these habeas corpus got the attention of one of the chambers of the, of the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled that the prohibition is inconstitutional because how can you ban a product that substitutes cigarettes if cigarettes are legal? So that was a very important ruling. And uh, the situation, to, to summarize, the situation between 2011 and 2018-19 was a situation of uh, tolerance. It was illegal, and occasionally the authorities did some seizures and so on, but uh, mostly it was tolerated. And uh, the, the ruling of the Supreme Court motivated sectors of the political class to launch initiatives to regulate the products, right? And so that was a situation was re relatively liberal in the sense that it was illegal, but it was tolerated. And the vendors belonged to the informal sector, like in Mexico, like 50% of the workforce is employed in an informal sector that is technically illegal, but it's not criminal. It's just people that are outside of the revenue system. And, uh, and uh, it's very common, right? Now, 
the situation began to change when Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador was elected as president. And this, I think it requires uh, more explanation. I, I wonder if you would like to ask questions at this point. Well, I, I think you, you're sort of brought us up to present day. I, I did want to say it. it, it uh, I might be off the mark here, but, uh, you know, the, the sort of approach to tolerating uh, e-cigarettes in Mexico, it sounds a little bit like um, how the United States has dealt with cannabis, uh, where at the federal level, of course, it's illegal, but uh, states are allowed to make their own uh, decisions. And, uh, you know, whereas the, the federal authorities have the the the, the authority to, to go in and, and bust up people selling or growing cannabis. Uh, they've just sort of been tolerating it. Uh, and so that's how we've been able to make some movements on reforming cannabis policy. Um, I don't know how similar that actually is to what's going on in Mexico, but uh, there's sort of that irony there, of course, that we're talking about nicotine versus THC and, and uh, all the discussion around that, but um, not so much a question as an observation. Um, but you did, I think, bring us up to present day. You know, the, the yeah. reason for bringing you on was uh, yeah, yeah, an announcement yeah. two weeks ago from your president that uh, the sales and marketing of, of electronic cigarettes is, is prohibited in Mexico. And so I'm sort of curious, how has that actually has that actually changed anything uh, yeah. in Mexico? Yes, yes. No, no. I, I just wanted to make a pause in order to, to be certain that people understood the situation. And yeah, it has similarities with, with what you described with cannabis. Cannabis in Mexico is now in the process of being legalized. And um, it's also similar. It is, no, but, but, but there is, uh, nicotine was tolerated to a higher level than cannabis. In this period between 2011 and 18, and let me tell you that the situation I'm describing is similar to Argentina and Brazil. Other Latin American countries have advanced more, like Colombia and Costa Rica. And um, it, it, what happens is that law enforcement in our region, in Latin America, is not like in the United States, right? Like if in Finland, uh, 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 they say they think it's prohibited, to sale, the commercialization, then it's absolutely prohibited. Nobody would sell it, very few people. And then criminal elements might take over. But in Mexico, there is a continuum between the criminal cartels, the informal market, and the legal sector, right? And so the informal, uh, the, uh, before 2018, or even the present, before, let's say, uh, 2021, I think the criminal market was not interested in the vaping product because the, um, the, win the margin wins were very small. Anyway, that's, let's move over to what is happening now. Uh, the Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, I will call him AMLO because that, that's the acronym that he uses. His, uh, okay, uh, Amlo himself was an ex is, is an ex smoker. He used to smoke. He is completely uninterested in the issue of nicotine or tobacco or e-cigarettes. At the beginning, he never cared about that. That's it's a non-issue for him. It's completely irrelevant for him. But he is a very centralizing president. 
he wants to centralize power in himself. So his regime has been destroying or trying to destroy by lack of funds many, many, any independent institution that he can see, any institution that is autonomous from his power, he tries to to uh, defund it or to, uh, anyway, he's very centralizing person. And uh, now he uh, appointed as a, as a de facto health minister, he is not the official health minister, but he's acting like the health minister. It's, a, it's, a, it's an epidemiologist graduated from the Bloomberg a John Hopkins uh, public uh, school, uh, uh, public health school. His name is uh, Hugo Lopez Gatel Ramirez. Hugo Lopez Gatel. I'm going to call him Lopez Gatel for real. Now Lopez Gatel uh, has absolute power over the health sector, just like Lopez Obrador has absolute power over Mexican politics and Mexican life. Uh, he awarded Lopez Gatel the same type of power, but over the health sector. The health sector involves institutes, hospitals, several dependencies like our equivalent of NIDA, NIDA, and several other. And also, uh, he gave uh, the, the our FDA, which is called COFEPRIS, was independent, was autonomous, but Lopez Obrador put it under the wings of Lopez Gatel, right? So this guy, Lopez Gatel, is connected with uh, technocrats from the Pan American Health Organization, the War Health Organization, uh, with a, with a, it's the Framework Convention of Tobacco Control, and also with Bloomberg philanthropies, like uh, for example, many of the of the ideas of uh, Michael Bloomberg about food are now implemented in Mexico, and uh, of course, the ideas that Michael Bloomberg has about nicotine and about vaping and tobacco harm reduction, uh, Lopez Gatel tried to implement them. But the difference between other health ministers is that none of them had the power that Lopez Gatel has. And Lopez Gatel is an extremely vertical guy, extremely authoritarian. And so he has been trying to, to put this, uh, these policies in a much higher intensity than before. Like This means that the tolerance is being disrupted. Now, uh, a pause here is that uh, uh, the pandemic stroke in 2020 and so Lopez Gatel, a crusade against vaping, which had already begun with the valley. During the valley times, uh, there were several epidemiological alerts in Mexico, and um, they were blaming all vaping on that. But for Lopez Gatel, a valley never finished, right? A valley has been his technical argument. Okay, now the pandemic came in. And Lopez Gatel had to deal with a real crisis, not with an imaginary crisis. And so uh, Lopez Gatel was appointed to be the COVID czar, like the, the person in charge 
of the official report, response of the Mexican government, the Mexican state, to, to the pandemic. But the performance of Lopez Gatel as the leader of this response was terrible, absolutely terrible. And uh, to add insult to injury or injury to insult, he was also very frivolous. Like he dismissed people who criticized him as conspirators. And so to, to, to make it short, he became a very unpopular and a very discredited and despised public health official. But he's untouchable because he has the protection of Lopez Obrador. Now the pandemic. Now that the pandemic is over, he is renewing the uh, offensive against vapes. And here I would like to pause to see if people have any questions. Yeah, well, I'd like to, if Matt, if you've got anything to say, I know that you had to drop off early, so if you had any questions that popped up. Yeah, I think it was touched on a little bit already, but my big interest with this is you know, now that it seems like it is more, you know, black and white, it's illegal and they might start enforcing it more uh, with the powers they have, is vaping big enough in Mexico to where you might see the criminal elements, the cartels yeah. tr start trying to take over that, uh, that sector? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'll, go to, I'll go to that now. Uh, but be, uh, before I have to mention that... Uh, Lopez, one of the efforts of Lopez Gatel was to interfere in the legisla legislative process because uh, during 2020 and 21, there were several law initiatives that tried to regulate vaping. Even two of them that tried to regulate vaping as a tobacco harm reduction, not as cigarettes. And uh, Lopez Gatel uh, didn't like that. And then Lopez Gatel was able to convince Lopez Obrador to issue the first prohibition decree in 2020. And he used the argument of a valley. He told Lopez Obrador, who is completely ignorant on this issue, he said, Do you want Mexican kids to die? Well, look at this, what is happening in the US, as if a valley never ended. And so Lopez Gatel, I think he was fooled by him, and he issued the first decree that we believe that he signed without seeing. Now, Lopez Gatel is a very proud and very egocentric person. He will, in order to have any regulation, it's necessary that his decree is revoked and he will never do that. So what is the reaction of Lopez Gatel to entrench himself in intransigent? And the more you criticize him, the more intransigent he becomes. Now. Uh, this means that Lopez got now, before I was mentioning to you the health minister, but now, together with the health minister, you have a very powerful president that is uh, acting like an activist of campaign for tobacco for kids. You know, now Lopez Gatel has taken vaping as a personal issue. And then the Supreme Court uh, issued another ruling supporting the previous ruling because they tried to over overrule that. And so uh, the Supreme Court is uh, saying something that Lopez Obrador doesn't like and he got very upset, very angry. And so now he's also, he's taking, uh, you know, vaping is an issue for him, right? So this means that the, uh, the uh, uh, there is a threat 
that they're going to be more efficient in enforcing. We are already seeing seizures in stores and so on, but we don't know if this will be just a, a, a something temporary that then will wear down or if it is going to be a more permanent policy. But there is a lot of uh, preoccupation among vendors and among consumers that something might change. It's unlikely because there are so many problems in Mexico and, uh, and the, the authorities that will be enforcing this do not have enough resources and personnel. Now, let's go to the other, to the direct questions you ask. How many vapors are in Mexico? According to the uh, official data from 2017, there were already 1 million people who answered the question of, uh, have you vaped in the last 30 days? And this is what they define as actual users. And there were 1 million people, most of them like 90, 95% adults. And some, some teenagers also, like about uh, 100,000 teenagers said that they were also actual users. But that is five years ago. We believe that the number now is close to 1.5 million people, right? Now, this market is supplied by informal vendors. And this market has different levels. There is the level of uh, middle class and above, uh, which is an uh, informed consumers and the vendors self-regulate and they have established stores. But then there are lots of street vendors that, that sell all sorts of, all sorts of uh, material, like old, very old second generation devices, right? But then in 2021, there was a massive flow of, uh, uh, it's like a flood of very, very cheap and low quality uh, Chinese-made disposables, especially the brand masking, but other brands like that. And now these disposables have flooded the market, at least in Mexico City. I don't know so much uh, in, the, um, in, the, in the States, but we think, and of course, I'm speculating because I don't have the data. I'm not a private researcher or whatever. So I don't have the data. But talking with people and what I see with my own eyes is that the established vendors are small merchants or maybe some of them medium-sized merchants. They do not have the resources to generate such a large network of distribution, right? So we suspect that criminal elements, some cartels, are within. But we also suspect that they have the tolerance or the association with elements within the government, right? So this is new. And uh, maybe this is connected in a sense, with the um, with a much harsher uh, attitude of the authorities towards vaping, you know the Baptist and uh, bootlegger alliance that we we might be seeing something like that, and this is very worrying because this is a market that has a lot of potential to grow. Bear in mind that there are much more nicotine consumers if you include the 15 million smokers 
there, it's a much larger market than cannabis or any other illegal drugs, right? Because it, in the U.S., it might be different. But in Mexico, cannabis is not so widespread as, as in the U.S., right? So to answer your question, yes, there is an imminent danger that criminal cartels or uh, cartels, uh, organized crime, we call them, will uh, get into the market. We don't know how this can evolve so far. There is no violence, uh, as far as we know. But there can be extortion, like uh, cartels. Uh, sometimes, if they see that you have a very prosperous, established uh, uh, commerce, they do not close it for you. They come and they tell you, well, we want uh, 50% of your earnings or we want X percentage of your earnings. It's extortion. That's the way they, 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 they work. So we don't know if this is already happening because people that uh, suffer these things are, are not willing to, to talk about, right? But there is a suspicion that this might be happening. Yeah, thanks for laying all, all of that out, especially, you know, issues with um, uh, sort of organized crime getting into the business of selling uh, nicotine products. Um, you know, usually when I think about this, I, 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 I don't fully consider all of the, the kind of secondary things of, you know, like you mentioned, extortion and, and the, the mechanism through which organizing, organized crime gets into to retailers and, and forces them to do things and, and takes money from them. Uh, what I immediately jump to, and, and maybe you 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 know about this, of course, you know, with the legal status in 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 Mexico of these products for so many years, and and the tolerance that you described, everything is pretty much conducted on an informal market. Have there been issues of tainted supply or poison supply, um, where you know people have been sick and you know completely removed from from Evali or cannabis or other drugs, but just nicotine vaping? Have have you seen? issues with with the quality of products yeah the, the, the look let me give you an analogy uh, have you all eaten tacos right you've eaten tacos you know what's a taco it's a mexican uh, staple food uh, right yes uh, i like i like tacos way too much that's why i'm chubby <laughs> okay so let's say there are three types of tacos good quality tacos but quality tacos, but not rotten, and rotten tacos, tacos that have salmonella or something like that, that will make you sick or even kill you, right? So with nicotine, we only have uh, good tacos and bad tacos. Like some of the devices, some of the disposables that you buy, uh, are not, they, they are not tainted by, by poison. They're, People are not dying from it, but it tastes awful and you can get a very nasty throat irritation from using them. Now, people who get this irritation simply drop them. They're, they're disposable. And there are many users that might use them uh, for a while and then uh, drop them away because there is no information. Since there is no regulation and we, the advocates, we are denied media platforms by the government. And the media in Mexico, I have to say that I'm very angry because the media in Mexico only talks to us when, when something bad happens. It's very difficult to get access 
to media in Mexico that has diffusion, right? So people are not informed. I'm so angry about that. And when I'm saying that, I'm saying not only people who are poor or who are marginal, that you say, well, okay, they're not informed because they're marginal, they're very poor, they have to work their their asses to, to get something to the table and so on. But even middle-class intellectuals in Mexico, they are not informed and often they they read the New York Times, and the New York Times is one of the major bullshitters in, in the Washington Post. All these liberal uh, news, newspapers and media in the U.S., they are very much anti-vaping, right? And so liberal Mexicans and well-educated, they tend to follow liberal Americans, right? And liberal Americans, they hate vaping because they associate vaping with big tobacco and they... They grew up hating big tobacco and they quit smoking 30 years ago. And so it's very difficult. There is no information in Mexico, right? So many people are exposed to these disposables and they, they vape them. They're not, doing, they're not dying. There's no, nobody has died from it or nobody has got so sick to go to a hospital. But it is like low quality tacos. It is like if you if the taco was prepared with low-quality meat, but not rotten meat, not, not, no parasites, well, not, no parasites that can send you to the hospital, right? And this has also, I can speak as a, as a scientist, this is also because uh, it is not easy to create an Evali type of uh, crisis with uh, nicotine, with the ingredients of nicotine, which are hydrosoluble, like, and uh, let me give, uh, tell you something. Uh, uh, like in 2019, when the valley was raging in the U.S., I get a phone call from a medical doctor from Durango. Durango is a state of Mexico in the north. I get, and he says, uh, I've seen some kids who, uh, who try to put THC on top of their, on top of their nicotine va- uh, tanks. And then when they push the bottom, they they inhale some some very nasty smoke. And now they're sick. But they were released in a few hours. They, they it was a what happens is that if you put THC things or things that are not soluble in water, they will not create the mixture, the solution. They will be more like a mixture than a solution. And when you warm that up, uh, these things will burn. And then it is something that you simply cannot vape, like you would not like to vape some nasty smoke from a chimney, right? And it is very visible. So it's not very easy. And uh, yeah, we have had health issues, but minor, because people are eating very low quality, they are, they are vaping, many people are vaping low quality devices, right? And that, that, but we never had, an, Evali never came to Mexico. It didn't come to Mexico. Nothing like Evali has happened so far. So far, because you never know, right? Yeah, and I, it's it's disappointing to hear that, you know, of, of course, you know, folks are, are reading the, 
getting their information about this issue from the New York Times and Washington Post and all of the, the usual suspects here in America. But I today, I don't know if you have seen this, but there's a, a press release going around. Uh, the American Cancer Society has completed their own study on uh, the perception of e-cigarettes versus cigarette harms and how that changed during the Evali epidemic. Uh, and they sort of come to the conclusion that um, I, I think, I, I didn't read this thing word for word, but Matt, you might be able to help me out here, uh, that essentially the panic was overblown and ultimately led to people going back to smoking, which is uh, not a great outcome. And of course, they couch all of this stuff in, in reiterating their, you know, their concerns about e-cigarettes and so on. Um, but, you know, is, is something like this likely to make an impression with uh, with AMLO and, and other folks and in, in the, the uh, administration in in Mexico? Not with them. Not, not with the... See, uh, Lopez Obrador, he's simply saying, I'm not going to revoke my decrees. My decrees are sacred and untouchable, and that's it. And he, and he whenever he speaks about vaping, he reads a script from Tobacco for Kids. That, forget about him. And he's like that in every issue. In, in every issue, not only in vaping, in political issues, in policies, in public policies, for example, he, uh, there were uh, shelters in Mexico City for abused women, and he, and he said, no, 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 there's corruption going on, and he closed them. And, uh, and he got criticized. He said, you need, uh, you, this corruption had to be uh, taken care of by, by scalpels, you know, cutting delicately. And you came with a machete and you cut the roll, right? But he's like that. He he is a president that takes very drastic actions and doesn't care about consequences. And if you criticize him, he becomes more intransigent. That's the way he is. So forget about him. Lopez Gatel is an executioner from Bloomberg Philanthropist. So you can also forget about him. The problem is that Lopez Gatel has a vertical control over all official medicine in Mexico. Like, if there is any forum or anything where I am going to be there, or where some other M medical doctors who are not in the official sector, if they are in the official sector, can be fired. But if they are in the private sector and they are known to, to be tolerant about vaping, uh, he orders people in his ministry to boycott that, not to go. You can, he does not allow anybody to join any platform with any other person who is not, uh, who is mildly supportive of vaping, right? So uh, official medics, now, uh, what you can say is uh, we have here a sort of a Gorbachev situation. There are many many medical doctors inside of the official sector who do not agree, but they will not say a word because they can be fired. You have no idea how vertical is the control that this guy has over the medical, over the official medical sector, right? Now, what uh, can be very useful is that the society as a whole in Mexico, and especially those liberal, educated Mexicans that look at the New York Times 
that they get this information. Because, you know, uh, the American Cancer Society, what you described, it's very, very timid if you compare it with uh, Public Health England or the British government. This is something that I say all the time. I say all the time, you look at the United States and you look at the New York Times and you look at University of San Francisco, California at San Francisco, and you look at Harvard, and, and they, uh, but uh, the United States is not the world. Look at the United Kingdom. And I say that all the time, all the time. But that has no effect when there are political constraints the way that I described, uh, uh, you know, the effect of Bloomberg philanthropies in this type of policy in, in public policies in Mexico. So, uh, but it is very useful to spread information. If the, winds of if the winds are changing in the U.S., that will have an effect in Mexican society. Because remember, when the United States sneezes, Mexico gets pneumonia, okay? So things that happen in the U.S. are very influential in Mexico. One thing that might happen in the U.S. that will be a blow to Lopez Gatel and Lopez Obrador would be if the FDA uh, approves the PMTA of more vaping products and vaping products that are, you know, that are popular, even Juul. If they approve Juul, that will be a blow up because we can say, uh, you know, Lopez Gatel is discredited, and the and you and, and the WHO, uh, uh, the FDA has more authority than the WHO. We can claim that, but uh, so again, I say, events in the U.S. can be very influential in Mexico. Yeah, well, hopefully they're catching on to the fact that FDA is authorizing some products. Obviously, we haven't seen anything in in flavors yet, but. Um, you know, we do have at least that that first step of, you know, these products are appropriate for the protection of public health. And hopefully that that gets through to, to uh, people with any influence or power in, in Mexico. Um, and, and sort of speaking of which, you know, what what's been your experience with uh, Provapio uh, that, that um, you know, are, are people getting are consumers in Mexico, you know, getting involved? Are they as angry about this as, as folks in the United States? Uh, or do you have some kind of barriers to getting people engaged? Yeah, look, uh, it's, uh, it's not very easy in Mexico because uh, civil society in Mexico is much weaker than the U.S. or in Europe. Uh, remember that Mexico was a dictatorship for 70 years. Uh, what Lopez Obrador is trying to do is to uh, to go back to those times, you know. He's a uh, he's trying to regenerate or recreate the uh, type of dictatorship that we had between two, uh, 1930 and 2000. Uh, it's a dictatorship where it's not a bloody dictatorship like uh, like the military juntas. It's a civil dictatorship in which the presidents uh, take office every six years. And then uh, they appoint somebody for the next six years and so on. This is what happened between 1930 and 2000. And uh, they, they, are not, uh, they do not nationalize things like in Cuba or things like that. It's not communism. It's not, com it's not Venezuela. It's not Cuba. 
uh, is not North Korea or the Soviet Union or whatever. But it is a, it is it's a very strong personal uh, control by the president and uh, the, and the civil society, all these autonomous forces that are counterbalances, they are dismissed. They are they are defunded or or combated and so on. And Lopez Obrador is trying to go back to that time. Now, in civil society, is very difficult. In Provapeo, Mexico, it's a, a, we don't even have a bank account. We are very few guys. And uh, I can say that uh, from 2018 that we launched, that we, that we created this association to present day, we have made a lot of noise, a lot of noise. We are very happy that given our meager resources, what we have been able to do. We have uh, like about 15,000 followers. And uh, whenever something happens with the vaping, we are called for interviews, right? Uh, the main media outlets uh, are, do not even call us then, or they just give us one paragraph and so on. But, um, and it is difficult, like uh, many, many vendors are disunited, they are starting to make, to take, to make their act together. And some of them have quarrels between each other and so on. But we are respected. Generally speaking, the vendors look for us for information, right? Most of the vendors, not all of them. And um, consumers uh, in Mexico do not, uh, we don't have, you know, we cannot say we have 100,000 followers. Most people that, that use the devices in Mexico just use them and are not interested in, in doing anything else. Just use them. And so it's very difficult. We have not, we, we do not have a, an organized, powerful movement of, computer, or of consumers that will be challenging. But we have sufficient, we are, let's say, in the, in the like a few thousands. But uh, it, it, like, for example, last uh, last week, there was a demonstration that it was a uh, symbolic closure of the equivalent of our FDA, the Coffee Police. And about uh, 500 people turned out. So in Mexico, if you can, uh, if you can uh, get a turnout of about 300, 500 people, that means that you are alive. Because society is not very participative, and civil society is still weak. So that's. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm actually very proud of Provapeo for being a, a number of uh, guys that you can count with your hand. Uh, we've made a hell of a lot of noise, uh, but and we are limited. We have a ceiling, like uh, there, uh, you know. As much as uh, you can have tolerance, the fact that it is illegal means that there is a ceiling to how much you can grow, right? So uh, uh, what we are, uh, we have tried also to talk with legislators, like the two legislators that uh, that launched a law initiative to legalize and regulate vapes. Uh, they we influence them. We had meetings with them, and we had working meetings with them, and we influenced them. 
And this is something that we keep trying to do all the time. Whenever there is a change in the houses of Congress, we go and talk to legislators. We try to make contact with them. And it's not always easy, it's not always possible, because many people don't want to deal with vaping. And even in academia, look, I, I went to the chemistry department in the National University to propose them to do an experiment, an emission experiment. The moment I mentioned vaping, they, 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 well, they did it politely, but they sent me flying through the window. They were not interested because if you say vaping, then the whole faculty of medicine will be against you and they will accuse you of being a tobacco front. And so it's very difficult. Like, for example, according to Lopez Gatel and all the health ministry, Proapeo Mexico is a tobacco front. Why they say that? Because we belong to INCO, you know, International Network of Nicotine Consumer Association Organizations. We belong to INCO. And INCO receives a grant from the foundation of uh, a smoke-free foundation. But we don't receive that grant. Uh, and the, the money that INCO receives is for INCO, for, it, in, for purposes of INCO. We don't get that money. Rafael Mexico doesn't have that money. We don't even have a bank account. We work with a shoestring bu budget. But nevertheless, we're accused. And uh, I have been personally uh, libeled and slandered in, in media, you know, and also in, con in, in, um, in forums in the lower house of common, uh, me and also Tommaso Goldman, were accused and uh, were, there were personal attacks against us. You know the way Bloomberg Philanthropy acts in, the, in, the, in countries like Mexico, Latin America, Africa, and Asia? They have no restraints. Bloomberg uh, operatives in Mexico, they slander you very nastily and they, and they act they, they, they uh, for example, Lopez Gatel during the legislative um, process, uh, the operatives of Lopez Gatel excluded legislators. Okay, if they exclude me, I'm a nobody. I'm the director of a small association. But they also excluded federal uh, legislators. Uh, telling, uh, and not openly, they work in a very coward way. They, they, in the corridors of the chambers, they tell people, don't talk to this legislator because he's a tobacco front. And Mexico signed the FTCT treaty, so you cannot talk to these people. And legislators many times are ignorant of these issues, and they are, and they are afraid to talk to you. It's, it's very insidious the way, the way the uh, Bloomberg philanthropy and its operatives is acting in countries like Mexico where institutions are much weaker and uh, accountability is much weaker and scrutiny is sometimes non-existent. It's important that you Americans know that the way anti-vaping forces act in our countries is something that they would never dare to do in the U.S. I think it's important that you understand that. Yeah, and, and you know, I think, unfortunately, we're all 
painfully aware of, of you know, the, the, the tactics employed by the Bloomberg philanthropies and, and of course, uh, well, I don't know if it's necessarily all on the World Health Organization, um, of course, you know, being subject to the uh, influence of, of uh, healthier than thou type organizations. Um, but, uh, you know, for sure, we, we see the same thing here, especially among academics. We've had Brad Radu on the Twitter spaces who, um, you know, risked his career to tell the truth about switching to smokeless tobacco. Um, but it's uh, I think we have a little bit we have a lot more sunshine here. Uh, unfortunately, people choose to stay in the darkness. Um, but, uh, you know, you're describing what, what seems to be kind of a pattern here, which is that, you know, Bloomberg Philanthropies and the World Health Organization seem to be preying on countries that have um, sort of dictatorships light or, or light democracy. And, and as you mentioned, sort of weak civil society, um, which is something that, uh, you know, I don't know how people can justify that and rather than relying on the science and evidence they're simply going into countries where the the constituency is you know easily pushed around um and so i i, I guess i, I kind of wanted to make sure that, that we gave you enough time to talk about you know your insights on on bloomberg and, and what they're doing um and as we've got probably about five more minutes here i just want to make sure that we're giving that topic enough enough air um and so uh, you know, in your experience in Mexico, certainly, but things that you've been watching going on around the world, um, this, this seems, this behavior seems to be epidemic. <laughs> does that, uh, does that jive with your experience? Yeah. And I, I wanted to say something also about popular perceptions, because I've talked about the health ministry and media and intellectuals and so on, but people, you know, ordinary people, the taxi driver, the vendor, in the street, uh, a peasant, or uh, or or a dentist, or you know, come people, common people, let's say poor, middle class, whatever the general people. How do they perceive that? And here, let me tell you something. Like uh, uh, we know that vaping is very different from smoking, but uh, there is a connection in the perception of smoking and the perception of vaping. Because you and I, and people who are listening, we know it's very different. But since the ritual is very similar, many people believe that vaping is some form of smoking. You tell them, yeah, but uh, you are replacing the smoke with an aerosol, and uh, it's not risky, and so on. And then say, well, okay, then it's a sort of smoking that will cause you very little harm. But uh, in Mexico, uh, smoking was never denormalized like in the U.S. It, uh, like, uh, I, I used to have colleagues who hated smoking when I was a smoker. But uh, if they would see me smoking in the parking lot or in the garden outdoors, they wouldn't mind. But in the U.S., uh, smoking, uh, smoking would be banned in the whole campus, right? And so there is, a, there is a hatred of smoking in the U.S. that doesn't exist in Mexico. Also, the tobacco wars against the tobacco industry, that's an American thing. It happened in the U.S. It didn't happen in Mexico. If you tell Mexicans that uh, the tobacco companies are some sort of Hitler figures, they're not going to believe you because we have had, you know, in Mexico about 80 people are murdered every day. And there are some corruption fits in Mexico that are horrible. Like uh, 
in the last administration. It's not something only of Lopez Obrador. It's, it's something historical. Like in the previous administration, one of the governors of the state of Mexico was caught trafficking with cancer medicine for children. So children would receive water and the cancer medicine was sold in a black market. Uh, when you see this type of corruption and crimes and so on, you cannot believe that the tobacco company is a sort of Hitler figure, right? So there is no special hatred against big tobacco in Mexico. Big tobacco is just one of the corrupt entities in the world. It's not the most corrupt. And so in this respect, vaping is not some, there is no popular hatred of vaping. Like uh, I talked to many taxi drivers, they let me vape in their cars. And uh, I think that's an important thing to bear in mind. Like uh, uh, the hostility in Mexico, there are desperate efforts to recreate a hostility to nicotine, to vaping, and also to smoking. Because look, I don't think that, that it is uh, humane to ban smoking in a park or to ban smoking in the beach. I think that's absolutely authoritarian. Even if I agree with you that smoking is a terrible thing to do, but you should allow adults to do it whenever they do not disturb third parties. And nobody is going to get sick by somebody smoking in the beach. Now, uh, they are trying to recreate this type of hatred in the Mexican public. And I think that it's important for us to prevent that. And the, because Lopez Obrador was awarded a prize by the WHO, WHO. the official reason is because uh, the, the, we have now a new tobacco law that it is mimicking California or it is mimicking Australia in the sense that it is forbidding to smoke in wide open areas that are not clearly delineated. And the fact that they are not delineated means that there's going to be a lot of police abuse in that. But again, I go back to the same thing. Uh, uh, popular attitudes to vaping in Mexico are, not, are neutral. They don't care. If you are vaping in a garden or something like that and you do not disturb them, even if you are smoking, people will not care. Right, and I think it's important to to bear this in mind. See, in Mexico, it's uh, popular attitudes are not as bad as in the U.S. I've been in the U.S. and I I get all I I and when I was a smoker, I was harassed many times. I, many times I have to to tell to to tell people the F word because they were so nasty. You know, that doesn't exist in Mexico. It's uh, only few people. Uh, and typically they they are cadres or hacks of the health ministry who do that. But the population in Mexico is not hostile to vaping. Yeah, I, I will say Americans do enjoy their inflated sense of self-righteousness. Um, and for sure, it's uh, it, it is, has gotten to ridiculous lengths here in banning smoking outdoors and um, I, I know in, in my where I live in, in very, very upstate New York, um, the uh, fines for smoking on county property uh, go up to five hundred dollars, uh, which is, of course, ripe for abuse. And, and fortunately, we were able to change 
the penalties here in the city of Plattsburgh, where I live, um, they were trying to propose a similar ordinance that would have even criminalized possession by adults uh, in outdoor public spaces uh, in the city with the same kind of fine. So um, we really do love, <laughs> love pushing the limits there. Um, but uh, all of that having been said, uh, we have reached the top of the hour. Uh, it's it's uh, four o'clock here, and, and I promised uh, everybody that we'd be we'd be done within an hour. So, Roberto, I know your time is precious, and thank you very much for joining us and helping us understand a bit about what's going on in Mexico. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, in line with with people using these products and sharing their stories, uh, there is an international collection of testimonials. Folks can find that at righttovape.org. Uh, it's a collaboration between CAFRA and CASA uh, so that we can collect all of these international stories and, and hopefully we'll get uh, some Mexican consumers to, to share their experiences. Um, not that any of this is necessarily going to end up in, in the New York Times, but uh, <laughs> out there in the world so that people can reference it and uh, hopefully officials and, and really just our neighbors start to pay attention to to what we've been doing and how we've been succeeding uh, in terms of stopping smoking and improving our health. Um, so uh, with that, I know I still got Danielle here, so I don't know if Danielle had any burning questions or things to bring up, but I'll give you just a second to chime in just in case. I didn't have any burning questions, but I wanted to very much, I know we're not there yet, but thank Roberto for coming on. This has been incredibly fascinating and I've learned personally so much about, you know, vaping in Mexico and, and the, the, you know, tobacco culture and things like that. So thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. And thanks, uh, everybody, for listening, for awarding me this hour to talk to you. I'm very happy. And I'm anytime you need any information, please don't hesitate to ask me. Absolutely. Thanks. And as things develop in Mexico and other places around the world, we'll have you back, I'm sure. Um, always enjoy your, your, your very colorful and accurate insights uh, as to, to what the international efforts are and how that's affecting people. Uh, and so that brings us to the close of the Twitter space. Uh, for those of you following Casa Media, you'll notice that we've been taking some breaks from our podcast. We don't have a podcast again until June 18th. And to be perfectly honest, I'm lobbying so that we can just take the whole summer off. Uh, but we will be back here with Twitter Spaces in a couple of weeks. We don't have a guest yet. So if you're not uh, following us on Twitter, at Casa Media, Go ahead, give us a follow, hit the notification bell so you know when we uh, set, some, set one of these things up. And of course, Kristen is always putting out really useful content. I'm sure you'll find the American Cancer Society study coming up at some point. Um, for those who are just tuning in and, and have, don't know anything about CASA, you can check us out on the internets at casa.org, C-A-S-A-A.org. Sign up. It's free. Uh, and uh, get involved. We have a couple of uh, opportunities available for folks right now uh, to share your stories and your opinions. There are two comments with the FDA, uh, one on a rule that would ban the sales of menthol cigarettes, another that would ban flavored quote-unquote cigars, which is a big, big category. But go check it out. Go to our website. Just search menthol, and it'll take you to the post. The other thing that's going on is we are collecting testimonials from people <coughs> who uh, use nicotine products, uh, whether you smoke or have switched successfully to a smoke-free product, we want to hear from you. Uh, if you uh, are also someone living with a mental health condition or substance use disorder, uh, this is a very important population who smokes at disproportionately higher rates than the rest of the, the population. Uh, 
uh, folks like us are considered hard to reach and uh, we tend to, to resist uh, anti-smoking messaging and anti or and, and smoking therapies uh, because there's a lot of other stuff going on. And so it's really important for us to hear your stories. Uh, and this is part of a larger project that's that's developing. Uh, and so, uh, again, just go to our website, type in the search bar mental health and uh, you'll see a couple of posts and, and this one asking for people's testimonials. Um, and we hope to hear from you. So uh, with that, I think I've got all the things. Uh, visit our shop while you're on the website. You can wear the positive messages of tobacco harm reduction. Danielle has made a, 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 a good collection of, of excellent designs that you'll be happy to wear out in public and let the world know that you switched to, to vaping or other smoke-free alternatives. Um, and with that, thanks again, Roberto. Thanks, Danielle, for being the host. Thanks, Matt, for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for listening and participating. And we'll see you next time. Yep.